Dariq Whitehead was the Naismith High School Basketball Player of the Year last year. He is regarded as one of the top incoming freshmen. Where do we view him? What does he do better than anybody else in this class? But I'll also tell you why I'm a little bit lower on him coming up on this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. You are Locked On NBA Big Board, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, everybody, welcome into the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. My name is Sam Ferris. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Dummies. I'm there constantly posting my thoughts, some stats, some clips. Uh, it is the offseason, but we don't stop. And I'm here with Leaf Tulin. Uh, Leaf, how's it going for you this afternoon? I'm doing well, doing well. It's a, a, a rare week off of work for the most part, and uh, I'm enjoying some tennis. I know. You and I, both tennis fans, we've enjoyed the U.S. Open, been some awesome matches. Um, but we're here to talk basketball today, and today we wanted to do a bit of a deep dive, and we're going to do that on Dariq Whitehead. So I think kind of the first segment, we'll do some of the high-level stuff. Uh, as well as some of his strengths, what he does better than anybody else. We'll kind of hit on that. But I've got topics throughout the show as we go through. What are realistic ranges for him? What concerns do we have? And then some fun ones at the end, like, you know, uh, if we were to compare him to last year's draft, where would he? Where would we rank him? Does he lead Duke in scoring right off the bat? And a couple other fun categories as we go through. But before we get any further... We do have a title sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. And of course, thank you, listeners, for tuning in for making this your first listen today. Hopefully, that is the case every day. All right, so. I'm going to start off with some of the high-level stuff on Dariq Whitehead. Uh, just for our listeners, because this is, you know, a lot of these guys, this is the first time we've really hit on them in the show. Uh, these guys are going to be coming into college next year. These are the prospects we're going to be looking at and examining over the course of the next 10 months or so. But because it's the first time talking about a lot of these guys on the show, we want to hit on some of the high-level stuff. Uh and so Dariq Whitehead went to Montverde Academy. He is now committed to go to Duke. Uh, 247 recruiting services had him as the number two recruit in the nation behind Derek Lively, who's also going to Duke. Uh, he's a 6'6 wing, around 190 pounds. I've seen wingspan listed at six foot nine, but I don't know if we have uh, confirmed exact measurements on that. But around 6'6, six, 6'9 six, six, wingspan, 190 pounds plays kind of the two three position and again ranked you could see him anywhere from like one to three one to five he, he is one of the best prospects like I said was voted the Naismith high school player of the year the athletic looking forward to last year has him projected to go number five in the 2023 draft and one other note I wanted to hit on he did recently within the last 
few weeks have surgery on a foot issue that he sustained in team workouts. But as far as we know now, there isn't all that much information. It sounds like he's going to be ready to play at least most of the season. Hopefully he's even ready to go early on. I know there, especially prospects like him, tend to be conservative and rightfully so, but hopefully we get to see a lot of Derek Whitehead next season at Duke. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into kind of the discussion here. Uh, Leaf, let's start out with my first question, which is, what would you say is Derek Whitehead's biggest strength as a prospect? Yeah, this is an interesting question because I think he's one of the guys that you say, wow, he's really good at a lot of things. And so that's a, I think that's a cop-out answer. So I'll go deeper, but I want to preface that by saying it's hard to decide not because he's not good at a lot of things. It's because he's very good at a lot of things. It's hard to pick a, a top thing. But I would say playmaking, not in the sense of setting up teammates as a facilitator necessarily, but just creating offense. He, he, he gets to the rim. He can shoot mid-range jump shots. He can shoot threes. He thrives in transition. With He's a pretty good run-and-jump athlete. And he's got all the fundamentals you look for like ingrained into his game. He played on the team that had Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, Dayron Sharp, Caleb Houston, all these guys that are in the NBA and some of them that are seemingly have the keys to the franchise to be the, the guy on NBA teams. And he played as a freshman. He played as a role player. Sophomore year, he still was more of a role player. Junior and senior year became spectacular and, and really embraced the role as a leader and the primary score. And I think the, those two years as a kind of an understudy to NBA lottery picks really helped him refine his game. And I think that's what makes him an offensive weapon more than a facilitator, more than a score. He's just so versatile. And I think he creates plays and scores the ball for himself and teammates. So that's why I would use the word playmaker, but not in the sense of like, wow, John Stockton passing the ball. Yeah, well, I, I really like how you brought up the different roles that he's played. That that wasn't what I wrote down, but that's a really good point because we've seen him play with legit NBA guys that are soon to be likely all-stars. So we've seen him succeed, sit, uh, you know, fitting into a role around those guys. But then as he's aged, grown into kind of the higher usage, he's done that too and was obviously one of the best players as kind of the star for his team at Montverde. So... Uh, that's just one of the benefits of playing for such a prestigious program. He did that as well as kind of anybody recently. So that's a really good point. The one that I wrote down, I, I went a little bit more kind of into the microscope here on a specific aspect of his game. It's the pull-up shot making for me is like the thing that to me sticks out the most is his biggest strength. And you combine the fact that he's a great pull-up shot maker with the fact that he's six foot six. So it's not like a, it's a six one, six two guard here. Like he he can shoot over the top of people and over the top of contests. And he's really hard to contest because of that size and his release. So especially the one-two dribble pull-ups from the perimeter, whether it's a long two that he can get to whenever he wants, or the pull-up three at his size to me, like if he hits on his ceiling. That, to me, is going to be the biggest aspect of his game that it's kind of undeniable and it's going to lead to efficient enough offense that, uh, you know, if that hits, that'll help leak down and set up the rest of his game. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think one thing to note is that he gets the pull-ups not as, like, an, an easy comp for mid-range jump shooting is, is Chris Middleton. Everyone talks about that if, if the player is good at 
jump shooting. So like Malachi Branham was compared to Middleton because he relies on the mid range. I don't feel like that's like, I agree. That's a, a huge strength of his, but I feel like he doesn't use that as like, Oh, that's my bread and butter. He he's very good at taking what's given to him drives the ball. Well, and obviously there's going to be a step up in competition, but even in McDonald's all Americans game against Shaden sharp and AAU, he got the better of Shaden sharp um, who's older than him. And, and I think he, he's good at getting to the rim and, and feeling how the defense is playing and taking what's given. And I find that to be an underrated skill for stars. And that's what he was for a high school team. He, he was good at letting the game come to him, not forcing actions that he knows he's good at. So I think that'll even behoove him further. Yeah. One other important point that you just hit on. So that is a great connector to what I wanted to, to quickly mention next. A big strength for him as a prospect is his age. He's really young. He just turned 18. And when I look at the projected top 20, even like the whole first round next year, he's the youngest guy on the list. Uh, so he just turned 18. Cam Whitmore is slightly older and Nick Smith slightly older than that. Those are kind of the three youngest guys when you look at at least the Americans projected to go uh, in the top 20 next year. So that is a big positive for him. He's just on that development curve. He's a little bit ahead. And just that age difference, like we talk about every year, that's something especially I do value a lot. So being that young and being... Uh, you know, such a good player for his age group already is a big positive. Um, so we've got a couple of fun uh, topics we're going to get to next. The next thing I want to hit on after the break is where exactly you have him on your board and what a kind of realistic range looks like. But first, a word from our sponsors. It's Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. Bet Online is also your continued source for all your sports wagering info, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, Leaf, I want you to go first on this one. I mentioned The Athletic. They had him projected to go number five looking forward to next year. That's kind of the range you'll see him in. Uh, where do you have him on your board right now? And what's kind of a realistic range of uh, if you had to project where you could see him ending up in looking forward to the 23 draft. Yeah. I, I don't have a fully constructed big board yet. I, I've kind of got an idea and amalgamation of players that I have in certain tiers. So I would say he's roughly five through eight. I think I'd lean towards six through eight on my board. Um, and, and five is about the highest I can see him going. Um, just be, And that's not really a, a slight to him whatsoever. I just think the people in front of him, are are extraterrestrial um yeah. especially two of them them and and i'm pretty high on the thompson twins as well so there's four four guys i don't feel like he can pass up cam whitmore is the guy that i have fifth and i, I think he could pass him but i i think that's as that's kind of the range for for me in this draft and I, it's both in terms of how far he can develop and i feel like those guys have higher ceilings but he may have a higher floor um, but the the ceilings are are really high for some of those guys ahead, and the floors aren't too low. So that's why I've kind of got a pretty standard pat 
uh, defined area for him to be. Uh, I think I think there there's obviously fits, but but there are going to be a lot of teams like locally. The Jazz are certainly a team that I think would be happy to get Derek Whitehead should they not get a top three pick. Um, and, and I I do think there's a very good chance he goes top eight in, in this year's NBA draft. Yeah, I agree. So quickly on my board right now, again, it's super early. So this is certainly going to change as we look forward. But right now, I have him number eight on my board. I could see him ending up really anywhere between five and 10 realistically. Now, if he really kind of disappoints at Duke um, and, and doesn't play as I expect him to, there's certainly always a chance that he can end up going lower. We see that every year with a few guys. But realistically, 5 through 10 is where I'm looking at. Um, To hit on a couple of the guys you mentioned, Cam Whitmore to me, like one of my stronger takes right now is I have him third right now on my board, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. I really like what he brings. Um, And then I would have Amen Thompson certainly above him. I have both Thompsons right now. But I think think 5, to your point, to to me, 5 is kind of his realistic ceiling and 10 his realistic floor floor in terms of an outcome as we look forward to the draft obviously a ways to go some of this is going to change but next question leaf is uh, are there any concerns that you have about his game and if so what would be one or two that you would point to i I think the first one is is an obvious one and you alluded to it is he had surgery on his foot and and you wonder how quickly he recovers does he go under the microscope of oh wow this guy's inefficient or because he's getting a lot of volume or the opposite. He's not getting a lot of volume and he's being really efficient. A la AJ Griffin last year, who's a good example of this getting injured preseason came back, didn't have the same workload. And then, uh, and then if he really shined throughout ACC play, I, I think, uh, I think Whitehead's going to have a bigger workload than Griffin, both because the team is more orchestrated to his strengths than, than it was Griffin's. But also I think he's more reliant on explosiveness, not in the sense of like verticality explosiveness, but just speed and agility than, than Griffin was. So we'll see how he's impacted by that. But to your greater point, I would say, does he have something that makes him make him worth drafting as a potential star rather than a second and third complementary player? Um, we've tossed around a few names and, and one of the best Robins in the NBA is Chris Middleton. Do, do you draft him as the Chris Middleton? Or are you trying to get a star if you take him top five? So then does he fall five through 10 where you're certainly satisfied and maybe even ecstatic at the possibility of getting a Chris Middleton-esque player? And so that's a, that's the question that really kind of impedes him ceiling-wise from being uh, overcoming that kind of fifth spot where I feel like there's a, a plateau of talent and it starts to, it starts to become a valley um, compared to the top five whose ceilings are, are like I mentioned, extremely high. Yeah, you bring up some valid points. And while you're at it, this is this is all debatable, obviously. So if you're watching this on YouTube and, and you want to leave a comment, let us know where you are. Obviously, Leaf is slightly higher towards the higher range at this point. I'm a little bit lower and I'm about to explain kind of why that is. So let us know where you are at at this point on Dariq Whitehead and what you want to see from him at Duke next year. Um, but Leaf, I think I've tweeted this out. So, and obviously we're going to get a real answer to this as we see him play at Duke next year is when I look at him from a physical perspective, a lot of people just say, yeah, he's athletic, but
but they don't really dig into the different kind of aspects of athleticism. There's a lot that goes under the whole umbrella of athleticism, right? So uh, I'm going to go on, on a little bit of a spiel here on, on what I view him like athletically. So from a high level, I've talked about this a few times, but to me, when I watch him aesthetically and the way that he, he moves out there, physically he reminds me a lot of Harrison Barnes now obviously he's three inches shorter and like Harrison Barnes is a good player but their physical shortcomings uh I think are pretty similar now Harrison Barnes especially going back to him as a prospect was a good straight line athlete and he could when he could load up he could get up for some big dunks but my my concern there is that I think there's different aspects of athleticism and I would classify them both kind of as stiffer athletes that aren't, uh, that don't have a ton of agility. And, and I think Derek Whitehead similarly can explode in a straight line. And if there's not a lot of traffic, he can get up for dunks. He's a little faster than Barnes too, but on the ball, I don't see a lot of whatever term you want to use, whether it's wiggle, flexibility, bend, off the dribble he doesn't really have much of that in my opinion um and and he doesn't really move that well laterally or explode that well in traffic and so the the way that i'd come and summarize that is i view him a bit more as like a robotic kind of like a stiff athlete similar to a harrison barnes now that kind of manifests itself on the court because a lot of people point to one of derek whitehead's biggest shortcomings at this point or question marks is his handle, which to me is pretty loose and not that advanced. And I think that is kind of a symptom of this kind of stiffness, this lack of bend that he has. And and so that manifests itself with the lack of a handle. And also he's not that great of a finisher in traffic, in my opinion, similar to Barnes, who also kind of jumps off two feet, but doesn't have a variety of different takeoffs, kind of has that same robotic athleticism and, and so that's my question is how is he going to look athletically against ACC athletes on an every night basis is I, I want to see what he does inside the arc, what that looks like and, and whether he can really get to much off the bounce outside of a one or two dribble pull up. Now we're going to get an answer to that this season at Duke for sure. Maybe I'm a little bit overreacting, but that's the main reason that I'm a little bit lower is I think, yeah, you just kind of got to dig a little bit deeper than, yeah, he's athletic. And I view those as some limitations that I'm not sure that he can get over. Are those things you've noticed? Am I overreacting? Do we just kind of have to wait and see uh, where are you at on that? I, I think they're valid concerns. I think part of the appeal for what, what I what I mentioned at the beginning is that, that he's good at a lot of things um, and you don't know exactly where his grade is is because he, he's multifaceted in his approach. But I think like sometimes the rudimentary handle that you bring up, I agree with, but it, he's simplistic, which I feel like can be a benefit and a downfall. And I wonder, is the bag more expansive than he showed because he could, could, he could suffice by taking two drills, shooting that pull-up jump shot? Um, I, I made this comment about Jabari Smith uh, and, and about April. And, and I got a lot of people saying I was kind of crazy. I was like, Jabari 
doesn't do much other than the, uh, dribble to his left, pull up jump shot. He, he drive, well, sorry, he drives one way, he pulls up the other way, and I viewed that as a a concern for him. I, and because I'd seen it against college level athletes, I felt like for Whitehead, it almost felt like it was simple and it was effective for him, and it was winning basketball. And so the question mark will be, can he do it the same simplicity against uh, ACC caliber athletes like you bring up? The other thing is. I, I am not as anti uh, non-explosive athleticism because when I say he, he's a good run and jump athlete, I agree with you. He, he reminds me of Harrison Barnes, or as you mentioned, or or someone who can, if he were to test, would test fine. But when he's on a basketball, the functionality isn't as explosive. But I feel like because of that, he's compensated and learned to be more um, refined in terms of the fundamentals of the game. He jump stops, he's, he's crafty, head fakes. I think he's got a greater concept of, of how to play basketball at a younger age than most players. And so I, I find it as a potential ceiling lowerer, but the, the floor is raised because of those, those, uh, those flaws, if we're going to say flaws. So I think those are valid concerns. I guess I'm a little less yeah. worried about the concerns, but I will have to see from the ACC perspective of, of how the athleticism compares to other pro caliber athletes no yeah that's a good point to me it does affect his ceiling more than his floor because with size with the shooting with the production he's already shown like he's not going to be a bust it's just it can he be like a one or even like a high level two on like a good playoff team offensively and like another guy that i'd actually kind of compare him to a little athletically in terms of the same limitations is a guy like jason tatum who's also a little bit stiff, like his handle isn't that advanced. He doesn't really dribble by and explode by guys. But of course, the difference there is Jason Tatum is six foot nine, right? So so Tatum can either just shoot the pull up right over guys or even catch in the high post, kind of like a KD turn and shoot over guys. Uh, he he doesn't have the same size. So so those, those are interesting points that I think we're going to get answers to. But my main concern, which I think you are a little bit higher on is I'm a little bit worried right now that his efficiency might suffer because I think he will rely a lot on mid-range tough pull-up that are contested. And there were days even in high school against high-level teams where he was inefficient because the mid-range fadeaways weren't going in. Um, And so I think that's going to be kind of amplified at the college level. And so I think – the efficiency is a bit of a concern. Now, the way that he can overcome that is instead of taking a lot of pull-up twos, he can take pull-up threes and make them. Uh, because generally, when we talk about efficiency, you want to get layups, you want to make threes, you want to get to the free throw line. So to me, can he get to the rim for layups? Can he draw fouls to help supplement the efficiency? But I think this is a good lead into my next question, Leaf, which is, what is it that you're going to be looking for and you want to see from Derek Whitehead at Duke that's going to make you confident in having him in this range next year? I think a lot of it will be answered based off the athleticism, but one thing that I think could really elevate him in eyes of scouts is, does he take the ball out of Jeremy Roach's hand, who's an established ACC point guard who probably will be an all-conference caliber guard? Um does he does he make Coach John Shire say, wow, this guy, we've got a rare talent. We want to develop him, but also this will help us win basketball games and play him 
as a kind of combo guard rather than just a two guard and play the point guard. I think that would really elevate his stock. I think part of what his biggest appeal is and why his floor is so high is his headiness, his ability to pass and distribute the ball. So I, I really think there's a that's a great sign. If he's able to play the one on 25% of possessions, maybe 30%, uh, I think his stock really improves. And then obviously I'd really like for him to shoot a good percentage from three, both off the dribble and catch and shoot, because people like us who like stats, I think that's a valid thing. If AJ Griffin shot so many catch and shoots at such a ridiculous level, how did he shoot off the bounce is something that we, we naturally ask. I think Whitehead will have a different split, but I'd like to see good efficiency with that split, especially under not a new system necessarily because Shire has been a coach K disciple for years, but a, a new, uh, a new enthusiastic vigor to the, to the Duke team. Yeah, no, that's a good point is how is the hierarchy going to end up laying out because they're so young. They have such good recruits. Uh, is he going to be kind of like the number one usage guy? Does he play kind of on the ball? Like you said, uh, and, and that's going to be certainly interesting things that we're going to end up seeing. I think there's a chance that does happen. For me, the things I wrote down, number one, mostly interested to see how he does offensively inside the arc. This is what we just talked about. The paint scoring, can he dribble by guys and avoid just relying on the heavy diet of contested pull-ups? So that's one. Number two is, to me, his ceiling will be defined by how good he is as a shooter. So that's what you hit on the three point percentage, the free throw percentage, and just the volume as well as how it looks. Can he turn a lot of those pull up twos into pull up threes and make them, you know, semi consistently. And then the last one is defensively. What does he look like? Uh, does he move well? And then I'm a guy that always values the stock percentages because that's kind of a good indicator of defensive athleticism and activity uh, does he get steals and blocks? And then just does he look the part moving around with length, with activity defensively? Because uh, comparing him again, he's he's not the same size as Jason Tatum, but I do think the way he can reach his ceiling as a player is similar where you hit on the shooting and you hit on the defense and you can kind of fit in any lineup and just be a really, really good number two. So I'm I'm interested to see how he looks defensively at Duke as well. Yeah, I think I think defensively at Duke, there's going to be a question of that was similar to last year. How much was Mark Williams's presence helpful for guys like Bancaro and Griffin? And this year, how is Derek Lively going to cover up for the wing defenders? Do they take more gambles? Do they increase their steal percentage but play worse team defense? I, I think these are all really interesting things, especially because in years past, Duke's played a lot of zone and, and maximize their size. Do they play man under Shire almost exclusively, or do they switch game to game? And, and I think there are a lot of question marks, such as strategy and how that impacts draft profiles and their stocks individually that, that we have no clue. Like, we can project as much as we want. We can say what their strengths are. But there are answers to our questions that we, we just won't know until they lace them up in late November. Yeah, and this – this Duke talk is a good lead into my next one, which is, do you think that Derek Whitehead leads Duke in scoring? We'll say points per game in case he does miss some games. Do you think he leads them in scoring next year? I think so. Uh, I'd be more confident had he not hurt his foot. 
um, yeah. because if it, I worry like, okay, he's going to have a lowered role coming back. And then how well does he um, develop into the guy? Whereas if he came in as the guy and then scored, but I still think so because I think he's the most multifaceted scorer on their team. I think Roach will have an increased volume than his previous two years. And I would guess he'd be second. I think Lively will kind of play the Mark Williams role, maybe be a touch better. His, I think he's better his freshman year, but Mark Williams is pretty phenomenal yeah. last year. If you if you watch it deeply, I thought he was the MVP of that team most games. Especially the shot blocking, like you said, the last line of defense last year. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, they're not, they don't have a Bancaro who's the obvious answer. Um, yeah. So I think it's going to be Whitehead. I think Flipkowski will score, but I don't think as a freshman he'll lead the team. So I, I would go with Whitehead with about 16 points per game. Yeah. Yeah, so Bart Torvik, which is one of the main sites I use, they do projections for next year, which are fun to look at. They have Lively, number one, Whitehead, two, at 16.8 and then 15.1. I personally would put Whitehead ahead, but I think Filipowski would be kind of an interesting bet just because he's the prototypical kind of college big scorer that has a lot of skill, can kind of score mid-range posts. Uh those kind of guys tend to be featured in college offenses. So if Whitehead misses some time, then maybe he ends up being kind of the freshman that leads the team in scoring. It'll be interesting. But uh, Bart Torvik has those three freshmen leading the way in scoring with Roach in four. So I think that will be interesting to keep an eye on. And next question is, when we look back at last year's class, Leaf, where would you rank him – uh, compared to the guys from last year, does he crack that that big top three for you? And if not, where would you kind of slide him in? I have him pretty safely at five or six. Um, yeah. So I had last year, Paolo Bancaro was my number one. Number two was Chet. Number three was Jaden Ivey. Number four was Jabari Smith. And then number five, I had uh, I, I had AJ Griffin, actually. Um, this was before he, he started getting some injury issues throughout the workout. So um, that feels a little worse now, but I, I had him and, and Jalen Duran at five and six. And I think he's a better prospect than Griffin. Duran, I think, has got maybe a higher ceiling than Whitehead, but Whitehead has a really high floor. But there's some hindsight in, in that Duran one. Um, so uh, I would say five or six. I think he's a better prospect initially than Benedict Matherin, who was picked seventh, or, or he was picked sixth. And so I would have him five or six. Yep. So we're right in lockstep there. I would. So I had Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Ivy, Jalen Duran. Jalen Duran was kind of the guy I was highest on versus consensus. I had him strongly there at number five. And so my question to myself is I definitely wouldn't have him above the top four guys. But right now, he versus Duran is really interesting because positionally, I value the wing, I value the shooting. But just when we kind of toss that out, I like Duran's game. I like, uh, again, similar how young he was last year, but also just the physical dominance. And I just think he's going to be a really good starting center, a potential lower-end all-star for a long time. Um, so that's difficult for me right now. So right now, I would say, conservatively, I'd have him sixth. But he certainly has a chance that he could move up Again, we're not going to be comparing him to last year's guys, but if he plays, you know, above my expectation, even just by a little bit, he can certainly move up to number five. He's really close as a prospect to Jalen Duran. 
But because you mentioned Benedict Matherin, that's one I wanted to hit on, Leaf, because physically they're very similar. 6'6", 6'9", wingspan. Matherin obviously was a little bit older as he came into the draft, so we weighed a little bit more, but very similar physical profile. And even if you just kind of look at it, step back their archetype where, you know, they're twos, probably two, three positionally very good shooters off the bounce one two dribble pull up like if you look at them from a high level they're pretty similar uh what would you say that differentiates him from Matherin or do you view them in a very similar tier yeah I, I think Matherin's a better run and jump athlete agree and Matherin may be a better catch and shoot shooter which would which you'd say like oh he's a better three and D then but I think Whitehead's got more playmaking both in the traditional sense of he's a better passer, but also in the sense that he can impact op- better offensive basketball in a, in a way that Benedict Matherin couldn't do because he can play on the ball he can play off the ball uh, he can score in multiple different areas of the game Matherin was more I'm going to dunk in transition I'm going to pump fake you on a three get all the way to the rim or I'm going to hit a spot of three I think uh, there's a Whitehead's got a more well-rounded game at 18 than Matherin had at 20, but Matherin had a team that was beautifully orchestrated. I think they were the best when, when Arizona played their best basketball, they're the best team in the country. Um, They just didn't play their best basketball as often as some other teams did. Um, And and Matherin was, was the benefactor of that, the main beneficiary of that because he was their best player. Um, And then the other point I want to bring up is that, Guys like A.J. Griffin, Benedict Mather, and Keegan Murray, the reason they're all similar in a lot of people's boards was for very different reasons. And I think uh, Derek Whitehead somehow covers all of their different individual strengths somewhere along his strengths. Um, He's more of a collage, whereas those guys are kind of like pinpricks on a graph um, that, that say, well, this is where strengths are, and this is typically an indicator of success in basketball. Whiteheads may not be as firm a blot on the graph, but it's there, and he, he covers more expansive territory in terms of strengths of basketball. Yeah, I agree. The, the main point that you hit on that I want to reinforce is the age difference, where like, I think they're going to be similar level players by the time Derek is uh, entering into the draft next year as Matherin was this past cycle, but just the age difference is a big difference. And so that couple years difference, when you look down the line and say, uh, is, is, is uh, Derek Whitehead really two, three years behind developmentally Matherin? I don't think so. And so when you look at that age curve, the trajectory that he's on, like I, I expect that there's a chance that he could end up reaching a higher end outcome based on what we've seen thus far. So the age difference is the main aspect and he has shown more just scoring and just overall playmaking ability than Matherin had to that point in his career as well. Cause like you said, just probably the second half of last season, we saw Matherin start to improve in the pick and roll. He was hitting Coloco on lobs and bounce passes out of the pick and roll more effectively and just that off the dribble game, which then we saw in the tournament, <clears throat> just the scoring, he kind of went to another level. Uh, but Derek Whitehead's already there in some of those areas. So he is ahead of him on that trajectory, that curve. And that's why I, I like Matherin a lot. He looked really good in Summer League, but I do think that Derek Whitehead is a better prospect. And I'm very excited to keep an eye on him 
hopefully he plays all of next season because he's one of the more interesting prospects for me to kind of figure out and watch next season. Um, but as we finish up, I want to say thank you to the listeners. Thank you for tuning in, making this your first listen today. Hopefully that's the case every day. Uh, I just got done applying for the credential to see the Wembanyama versus Scoot games in October. I hope to be there in person. Very, very excited about that. Some very fun news. Um, anything you wanted to pitch? Anything you wanted to say, Leaf, before we finish up today? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was speaking with, uh, with someone about that yesterday. I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but I really want to. Um, and, and I just can't wait for college basketball. That, that's an amazing event with the one, probably number one and two picks. But college basketball is kind of where I lock in and say, wow, like this player is way better than I thought. This player has a chance to be this caliber of NBA player. And, and I love the game itself, even without the draft part. And then when you add in the draft part, there's so many levels to it. There's so many good teams. I think this is going to be the best college basketball year that there's been in terms of great teams and great players. Um, so to keep listening to our content. We're going to churn out a bunch of it, including some previews and, and player profiles coming up soon. Yep. Thank you, Leaf, for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Have a great rest of your weekend.